This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, June 12th, 2017 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pasca. You know, the winds of change are blowing throughout Europe. These, ah, screw it. Sounds better with an English accent. A cold wind has blown away the old parties, and now a soft breeze, dare one say it, of optimism, seems to be wafting in favor of the president. That is quite a wafting. So let's examine what is going on throughout the world, the whole world, well, the part of the world where they have elections. Eh, okay, Western Europe and here. Let's try to come up with a unified theory. Here are our data points. We got the Trump election. We got Brexit. We got Le Pen in France managing to the final rounds. Okay, that's kind of on the one hand. But then we got Macron. We've got, let's throw the widespread protests in Russia that we're seeing today. Let's throw that all in there. Try to figure out what's going on. Could be populism. Very popular explanations. Got pop you right in there. I hate that label. Populism can mean anything. Brexit, populism. Punishing the party that oversaw Brexit. Populism. All right, here's another one. Not many people are talking about this. Sexism. Notice that all the women have lost. Now, of course, there is a huge difference between Marine Le Pen and the other non-fascist ladies I talked about, like May and Hillary Clinton, certainly. And yet, listen to this BBC show, Westminster Hour. And she did get a nickname, didn't she, quite uh, recently, which has stuck. Uh, which which one uh, do you mean? <laughs> that bloody woman? Well, the Maybot. Bloody difficult woman. Oh, the Maybot. The Maybot yes, is yes, the yes. one. Maybot. She was called the Maybot because she seemed so programmed, constantly on script, always repeating the same line. Strong, stable leadership. She said this so much. And she said another line, which the British tabloid The Mirror counted and set to music. Weak and unstable coalition of chaos led by Jeremy Corbyn. His uh, failure to rule that second referendum out shows the coalition of chaos that we would have under Jeremy Corbyn. I think there's a very clear choice at this election between strong and stable leadership under the Conservatives or a coalition of chaos led by Jeremy Corbyn. There were eight others that they had there in their little musical clip, but you get the point. She was a poor campaigner. She didn't connect with the regular person. She was overly programmed. None of these things are purely sexist. But who or what kind of person does this get set of? The two U.S. politicians who get smeared with this brush, perhaps not unfairly, the most are Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton. I'm just saying. That said, do I think that the major impetus for all these votes was sexism? Probably not. Probably was change. But what does that mean, change? They weren't always changing from one set of ideas to another set of ideas. It wasn't an endorsement of a worldview. It was more just a whipsawing, whoever's in power to who is ever out of power. It makes the timing of the election so important. It makes the handling of the election very important, more important than the actual direction of policies. Now, after all this happens, everyone will claim, well, we got a mandate. Well, people endorsed our ideas. Donald Trump, even though he got fewer popular votes, says, well, obviously my ideas have won. Jeremy Corbyn, even though 
Labor is not running the government, said obviously our ideas won. I don't know if their ideas won. I don't know if any ideas won. I just know that doing the opposite of that which we had been doing, that seems to have won. I am excited to see the effects that Macron, you know, can he deliver? He's actually accomplished something that Bernie Sanders promised. Bernie Sanders always used to say when you said, all right, you have these great ideas, but why would the Senate and House ever pass them? And he would say, once I'm elected, the winds of change will sweep through America. And it is harder in the United States. We vote for a Senate and the House on the same day we vote for president. So Macron has that advantage that his party can see how he did in the last couple of weeks and get swept into office. But it is a Bernie Sanders-esque thing. That'll be interesting to watch. And Britain's an interesting experiment too. In what? I'm not exactly sure. Maybe just how long can a prime minister stay in office after essentially net losing an election? On the show today, I spiel about a murder in a park seen by thousands, but unreported. Until Eric Trump and other brave souls told us about the danger of casting an orange Julius Caesar. But first, he was Egypt's premier satirist up until Egypt realized we're pretty much a dictatorship. We don't need satirists. There is a new documentary about the so-called Egyptian John Stewart. Bassem Youssef is here because he was pointedly told that he's not welcome over there. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Bassem Youssef has been called the John Stewart of Egypt because he hosted that country's premier satire show. He's also sort of the Atul Gawande of Egypt because he's a practicing surgeon. And he's a little bit of the Smothers Brothers of Egypt because his show was forced off the air for political content. He does not, however, play the banjo. If I could do anything, I would have my own comedy show. Be like John Stewart. Make fun of New Jersey whatever the hell that is. I wouldn't make fun of politics, the president. There's only one problem. I live in Egypt. There's a new documentary about Bassem Yousef's experiences. It's called Tickling Giants, which is what he did. Turns out the giants didn't always laugh. Hello, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. When was the last time you cut open a chest? Six years ago. Do you miss it? No. <laughs> what did it? What insight did it give you that you used in your next job? I think being uh, being into medicine for nineteen years, it's a character builder. Being a nerd, being a hardworking person, it really uh, translates into into entertainment. Yeah, and now as a comedian, though, if you say you killed him, it means the stakes are lower. That's my <laughs> point with that. Yes. So tell me before we get to your troubles and how you became the John Stewart, what was your life like during, say, the Mubarak regime? Well, I mean, under Mubarak, it was very stagnant for everybody. After living for 30 years under the same president, you kind of like, you lose any hope of change. You spend your life in mundane activities. There's no really any 
incentive to be politically involved. But you personally, you were a surgeon. You were a... yeah. I was like just like a, I, as a matter of fact, I wanted to get out uh, the hell out of the country. I was applying uh, in the United States to uh, continue my career there, and, w- and I was accepted in Cleveland. That was just before the revolution broke out. So the Arab Spring happens, and what's your reaction? Are you immediately hopeful? Are you scared? Uh, 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 surprised, yeah. uh, overwhelmed. Didn't know, confused. Didn't know what to make of it. It took us like a few days to realize, like, oh my god, this is something good. Uh, I mean, it was like uh, it just like uh, it is something that was other than the stagnation, and yeah. we were excited. And I was when I was involved in the revolution, I didn't go in and and throw rocks. I was there as a doctor trying to treat people. Trying to treat people who are perhaps injured by government soldiers in Tahrir exactly. Square. Now, uh, there's a cl- there was, of course, a class dimension to the revolution, and I would always hear reports about bread, specifically bread shortages, and then even petrol in a country like Egypt, which seems crazy, but it was hard to always get, say, cooking oil, right, and, and, and gasoline. But you were comfortable. So it wasn't economics on the line for you. Many of the people, many of the activists who led the revolution were from a higher class. Yeah. They were, this was not, these were not bread wars. These were people who were uh, asking for dignity, for equality, for um, freedom. And, uh, th- and and these were intellectual people. And many actually were living a very comfortable life. Uh, they, they were living abroad and they came back. And many of them were uh, graduates and students of the American University of Cairo, which is extremely expensive. So this is, was not out of necessity as it was more, uh, mostly out of conviction. Yeah, and from what I understand, there are a lot of uh, educated, college-educated people, but not always jobs for them in Egypt. Yeah, that the is... Over-educated a... people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You were uh, still a surgeon. When did you begin? Uh, you had an internet show first, B+. Yes. Your blood type. We... <laughs> or B positive. B positive. Uh, we, uh, we started this show like eight weeks after Mubarak stepped down. I didn't really think much of it. I thought like maybe I would have like 10,000 viewers and then I ended up with 5 million. And uh, I know that 5 million now is like what your cat gets on you know, on, uh, on YouTube. But <laughs> like have, at that I time... I have a very talented cat. Exactly. He's also a surgeon, by the way. Yeah. Exactly. But at that time, that was a big deal. And uh, eight weeks later, I, will, I, will, I was having like my first TV contract to sign, which is, came very fast. I was I was wondering, well, now are we going to do this? Am, am I going to be like a TV host? So it happened very fast. You were a funny guy and you took your humor and sarcasm and put it online. What made you confident? But you weren't a trained entertainer. No, I... I I didn't even think that this would be a, a, a viable product. Okay. Did you think that it was important to do it or just something that you wanted to do? I mean, I know you found ex- your it's, expression. It's, it's, it's a mixture of both. I was always fascinated by John Stewart. I hope that we have something of him. So that was kind of a, a knockoff version for the internet that I did. And what was your take uh, about Morsi? Well, Morsi was a product of the political Islamist group, the Muslim Brotherhood, which is a very closed-up group who think they are more pure and more able and more deserving than others. And they are the ones who carry the message and the carry on with the mission of uh, spreading Islam. And of course, it's kind of like a classical medieval mentality of Puritans. And they are kind of like, the same way with military dictatorship, because again, the military is quite a closed, uh, isolated group from the rest of the community. They are thinking that they are, you know, the people who are more deserving and they're the elite and everybody should follow them. It's kind of like the same exact mentality of the right, anywhere extreme right wing. Well, it is. And strong men often have, uh, so-called strong men often have the thinnest of skin. But it seems to me that when you're attacking Morsi or someone associated with Muslim Brotherhood, they could conflate that with essentially blasphemy. 
And so that's an extra added danger for you. This is the same exact mentality in all right wing. They combine personalities of people with ideologies. So if you uh, attack someone who's representing uh, an Islamic political party, you're not attacking him, you're attacking Islam. Yeah. If you attack someone who is representing uh, the military, you're not attacking him, you're attacking patriotism, you're attacking the country, you are a traitor of your country. So, yeah. yeah. During Morsi's reign, was he trying to interfere with your show? Where was the regime coming down on you? Like, well, they tried, but like later? there was like a pushback. But like uh, under the Morsi, I mean, you know, I was there was a warrant for my arrest, and I had to go and uh, be questioned for six hours. I came out on bail, and they during the last days they tried to close the, the show many times, but they couldn't. But of course, when the army came through. The army is much more effective because they have more experience. <laughs> so Morsi had all these tendencies. Uh, he w- he would uh, you know conflate his reign with religion itself, and um, he was uh, he was a fairly bad and rep- repressive leader. Yet he was democratically elected. Of course, here in America we have Trump, who was democratically elected. Then you get Al Sisi, who was not took control. Um, that. Just that fact alone is. Do you think that should be disqualifying for holding office? You mean with CC? Yeah. Do you no, think, I mean uh, the thing here's is. Here's my like, question. Do well, you, well, well it, it, according to the military, they came during election. Of course, they carry election, but like yeah. the atmosphere of fear that they have instigated, the atmosphere of uh, uh, of oppression, yeah, makes it extremely difficult to compete with the army. So, uh, I mean, I think that the Morsi should have gone, but not through a military coup. Or uh, even if he would have removed, there would be like, should be a, a fair election. But like, once you get the military involved, fair and election is, is, uh, is a fantasy. So the Arab Spring for you was exciting because it was actually something different and something that w- represented something other than the stagnation. Then you had all this tumult. What did you think of the beginning of Al Sisi's reign? Were you optimistic? No, we like once he started to present himself as the next president. I mean, that was scary. Yeah. Uh, once he was killing people in the street, that was scary. The military junta that has been in charge of Egypt has just like showed its face, and they don't care anymore. In America. We were seeing this through, of course, the lens of what the Obama administration should do and how much they should signal. Were people, you know, plugged in, informed people such as yourself, were you thinking much about America's role in all of this? The problem with America is that they damn if they do, damn if they don't. If they interfere, they're meddling with other people's affairs. If they don't, they are like passive. It's either Libya or Syria. It's just like they don't yeah. know. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's just like, what, what, what are they going to do? What I would ask the American administration to do is not to empower dictators. What was the main source of your humor under Al-Sisi? His propaganda. Yeah. They, uh, because at that time, he was not even present. He was still uh, like a, a minister of defense. So it was dangerous for us to go against him because the military is much more sacred than religion in Egypt. But what we could do is we were dismantling the, his propaganda uh, narrative. And uh, we had so much fun with it. But at the same time, it was also dangerous. And it and, and we, you know, we, we paid dearly. We got our show removed and we ended everything. And there are scenes in the, in the movie, in Tickling Giants, you know, the, your studio is surrounded by soldiers at one point. You have to do a show with men with guns outside. 
Does that make it harder? I mean, it's not the most comfortable workplace. Of course. That, well, but then again, just saying anything and relieving the tension can lead to a big laugh. Oh, of course. But it's just like uh, someone had to live with a kind of a split personality, like uh, having to deal with all of this pressure. And once the lights are on, on stage, you're a totally different person. You have to write comedy, perform comedy under all of these uh, pressures. It's very difficult. How big was your show? Uh, 40 million people watching it every week. Did it have a measurable impact? I don't know. How, what, what is an impact? Did it uh, prevent pe- certain people from getting into power? Did it prevent uh, Egypt becoming a military dictatorship? Did it? I don't know. I don't know what's the impact. It is not the, the job of a satirist to make an impact. You put out your opinion and you hope people will make a change. People didn't. They were well, passive. If there is a continuum between make a point and get a laugh, where did you f- fall on that continuum? Make a point. Make every, a point. every single time. I think in America... I've asked this question to a lot of people who do satire and they want to have their point made, but they primarily say, my job is to make people laugh. My oh, job is comedy. Absolutely. my job. Absolutely. But like it- the, the, I don't want to have the content of the comedy be anything. I get to control that. And I'd like the content to say what I believe they say. Oh, but, but it's primarily to get that laugh. Of course. But like people will even laugh harder and it will stay longer in their heads if you make a point as you make the joke. There was a a treatise written about the humor during Nazi Germany, and there was, and you could get arrested and killed, but also some was allowed to exist. And the stuff that undermined Hitler the most was not making fun of his personal foibles or how he looked, and that went on too. He looked crazy to the Germans at the time also, but it was just pointing out, here's what you promised and here's what you didn't deliver. Here's how your promises aren't matching up with the reality. And that was the thing that undermined him the most. And the satirist who could make that point would say that that had the biggest impact. Oh, yes, because like uh, physical comedy is easy. Yeah. As a matter of fact, presidents in Egypt welcome that. Yeah. Because it has no context. Yeah. But when you start to be objective and like put his uh, character, his his promises to the test, this is what, uh, what really hurts them the most. Now, I know there are so many people in America. I know Jon Stewart uh, and his show were big backers. In fact, the director of this documentary is a Daily Show producer. What could people outside of Egypt have done for you? What did they do for you? Could any could they have no, done more? I, I don't think that they, uh, they could have done anything could be done from outside Egypt. It will actually discredit you within your country having a outside support. But is al-Sisi actually unpopular at a certain point? Probably among, you know, the people who are in Tahrir Square, people who you associated with in, you know, educated people, maybe in the medical profession, not so much. But dictators have this way of, you know, shaping opinion, oppressing people, uh, controlling the media, and eventually having those actually, quote-unquote, earned high popularity ratings. Yeah, but like, uh, I mean, CISA's popularity right now has declined compared to when he got into office. And many people just like are very, they don't have an opinion of their own. They just like follow. It is horrible like what have the military dictatorship had done in Egypt in over decades. They want security and they want food. Yes. Whoever's going to give them that, it's fine. They do not have strong opinions. So what are you doing now? What's your life like? I am living the Hollywood life, trying to get uh, scripts and projects uh, off the ground. And uh, Well, what's your audience for them going to be? Uh, hopefully the American audience. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, like, I would like to get, like, some sort of an, a, a global perspective. Are you interested in talking to Egypt anymore? I am interested to talk about what's happening in the new country that I live in right now. Yeah. Putting my opinion out there, What's ha- whatever is happening to people like me yeah. as immigrants. I yeah. think that's a big issue now. 
But Sam Youssef is, well, was the John Stewart of Egypt, or as John Stewart says, I am the Bassem Youssef of the USA. A new documentary about him is out on Video On Demand and DVD. It is called Tickling Giants. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you very much. And now the spiel. Shakespeare in the park or Shakespeare in bad taste. Good evening. Top story today. Controversy. Bardroversy. A production of Julius Caesar written by William Shakespeare, a tight-wearing foreigner who never had a nice thing to say about America, depicts the killing of the leader of the world's largest superpower. That power is Rome. The leader is Julius Caesar. The events were well known to many. But in a shocking turn, this production depicted Caesar as Donald Trump, his wife as Melania, meaning the assassination at the end of the play seems to advocate killing the president. Noted Shakespeare scholars Eric and Donald Trump objected the Bank of America and Delta Airlines withdrew their sponsorship, saying that if they were to offend America, it will be through extensive ATM charges and limited legroom rather than sponsoring plays. All right, let me, let me take off my news hat. See, I was in character there. That was my newsman character. Let me just tell you what I think about this. I'm really disappointed. I'm disappointed in Bank of America, and I'm disappointed especially in Delta Airlines. Why? Why would I expect better treatment of the arts from a corporation whose greatest endorsement of the arts is playing Paul Blart mall cop on all transatlantic flights? But at least this gives Delta an opportunity. It clearly can't trust Julius Caesar to those hacks at the public theater. However, it now is the chance to take it in-house. Shakespeare in the park? Failure. Shakespeare on the plane? That thing could fly. Uh, friends, Romans, platinum medallion status customers, lend us your aisle seats. We come to offer vouchers. You need not praise us. But these vouchers are good for travel anywhere within the 48 contiguous United States. And to our customers with that lean and hungry look, an offering of the flight fuel menu, which features wholesome seasonally inspired selection and America's only non-GMO and vegan airline snack box. We also offer complimentary Snyder's of Hanover pretzels and our signature Biscoff cookies. They are delicious, but you may wish to beware those kinds of starch. Oh, I got more. I got more. Here we go. In the event of a decompression, an oxygen mask will automatically appear in front of you to start the flow of oxygen. Pull the mask towards you. Cry havoc and let loose the dogs of war. In the event of a water landing, remember, cowards die many times before their deaths. And to accommodate our diamond platinum medallion status members, let them go first. Alas, an exunt with flourish. Delta will not actually be offering this in-flight performance of Julius Caesar. Just as well, their on-time performance has been rated 43rd. I just looked it up. But as a fan of the arts and enough of a fan of Shakespeare to know that somewhere in America right now, some company is always staging Julius Caesar or Macbeth or Richard II or Lear with the current occupant of the White House as the title character, I know not to be offended. I was a little disappointed and I was kind of surprised that they actually cave. I expect such ham-handedness out of United or Spirit Airlines. But A2 Delta, A2. 
And that's it for today's show. Let's go around and everyone on my staff can say nice things about my administration. Uh, just producer Chris Berube. Your direction, we were able to also focus on the forgotten man and woman. Just producer Mary Wilson. Thank you so much for coming over to the Department of Transportation. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of people were just so thrilled. Executive producer of Slate Podcast, Steve Lichtai. We thank you for the opportunity and the blessing that you've given us to serve your agenda. To listen to back episodes, to get our newsletter, go to slate.com slash the gist, your one-stop shop for all gistiness. The gist. Fair is foul and foul is fair. Please uh, buckle up your seatbelt. We're expecting some rough air. Oopero, deporo, deporo, and thanks for listening.